Hi, I'm your host, Dave Kemp, and this is Future Ear Radio. Each episode, we're breaking down one new thing, one cool new finding that's happening in the world of hearables, the world of voice technology. How are these worlds starting to intersect? How are these worlds starting to collide? What cool things are going to come from this intersection of technology? Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Okay, so we are joined here today by two reoccurring guests. We got Andy Bellavia and Giles Tongue. So let's go around real quick, introduce ourselves, starting with you, Andy. Uh, thanks, Dave. Always a pleasure to be on the show. And I think by now, most of your listeners know who I am, but I'm the director of market development for Knowles. I'm responsible for all the in-ear devices, which are actually not regulated hearing aids. So music earphones, in-ear monitors for musicians, communications, earpieces, and hearable devices, including hearing hearable devices. And I'm also a connected hearing aid wearer. So I get to experience it from the customer point of view as well as supplier. Great to have you here. And Giles? Thanks for having me back on, Dave. So I'm Giles. I'm CEO of Chattable Apps. Uh, We've created the world's first AI for speech enhancement with zero latency that can fit onto a hearing device or hearable. Our approach is neuroscience-led AI where we've reverse engineered how the brain processes speech and noise and utilized AI to put this on a chip without any latency. And because we're targeting the brain, it also works for autism and ADHD. Love it. Well, great to have you two here. Um, You know, for those that uh, maybe recall, Giles was on about 30 episodes ago, I think. I had him on with Jeff Cooling, and I really think he's got a cool company, this Chattable Apps Um, we're going to talk a lot about it today, so I won't go too much into that past episode, but really, you know, a a novel solution that sort of stems from the world of neuroscience, um, just some really, really interesting work that's going on. So we'll get into that as this conversation goes on, but really I wanted to have these two on today, um, because, you know, there's been just so much momentum that's been building from a lot of the big players, uh, in the tech space. You know, you look at, Facebook with a lot of the work that they've been doing with their reality labs, you know, in, in particular around things like solving speech and noise and, and really trying to attack a lot of the commonly cited problems uh, in the hearing health space. So you have Facebook that's now sort of, uh, you know, their, their scopes are on the hearing health market. Um, you know, just recently you saw with Google and their Project Wolverine, um, another type of hearing health uh, moonshot project that, again, leveraging all of their AI prowess and all of their cloud computing and all the different buzzwords that we hear today. Um, But these are the companies that are very, very well suited to, to kind of throw all of that weight at these problems. And I think it's just kind of creating a really interesting scenario here that we're kind of watching unfold in real time. Uh, And then the third of the three headed beast would be Apple. You know, Apple has been slowly kind of uh, moving in this market, um, you know, with the AirPods Pro and the headphone accommodations. But I think what's really interesting about Apple, and we'll probably talk about this throughout the episode is, you know, with ResearchKit, this is something that kind of flies under the radar. So ResearchKit 
allows for them to partner with a lot of different universities. Um, and because of their giant user base, they can quickly assemble huge studies of people. And so they've been working on a study that they recently published the results on um, all around, you know, basically um, hearing loss and some of the different uh, findings that they've had from their hearing study um, around, you know, the prevalence of hearing loss, the prevalence of noise that people encounter every single day. And I think that this is, it's just a really kind of a roundabout way that allows Apple to kind of solidify themselves in the, in the uh, academic community as a facilitator of a lot of this research. And oh, by the way, they happen to have this product that a ton of people use that I think they're sort of lending the argument toward there's beneficial ways that you can leverage AirPods and the like into the future. And so for this conversation, what I really wanted to do was bring Giles on in particular, who I think has a lot of really interesting thoughts as to why we're now kind of suddenly seeing a lot of this interest from these major tech titans, what they might ultimately be able to bring to the table. And then as someone that's operating, uh, you know, very much down in, in the trenches in this space, um, what Chattable's doing and, and how Chattable is actually working to solve some of the different things that he believes these major tech titans are, are kind of encroaching into. So with that, Giles, why don't I kick it over to you and let you kind of expand on this a little bit and share why you think there is this newfound interest from these major companies at solving some of these different problems that they're attacking. Sure. Thanks, Dave. So um, if we think about the Apple study recently, they fed into the uh, WHO numbers where it, we once talked about 466 million with disabling hearing loss. Now the headline number is one and a half billion people with hearing loss. So we've now moved into one in five people with hearing loss. And we know from industry data that something like 80% plus of that's going to be mild, moderate. So um, the World Health Organization number still doesn't, to my mind, include uh, autism, ADHD, and APD, other groups who might have hearing-related or listening-related issues. So I tend to talk about one in four people who struggle with speech and noise. So... Um, they're helping to broaden our outlook really on, on the problem and the uh, issue that we're trying to address here. And we talked about Google and the moonshot just now. I think a, an interesting thought experiment is if we forgot everything else that we ever knew and started from scratch today and we were Google or Apple or one of these others and looked at those statistics and thought, um, you know, what is the problem that we're trying to solve? How can we address the most people, et cetera? then they'd probably focus on speech and noise and they'd probably be turning to things like AI and machine learning to try and solve these problems. Um, why is it a moonshot? Well, at the moment, it's a moonshot, presumably to these companies because they think it's a crazy idea with near to zero chance of success. Of course, I'm here to tell you that we're already on that journey and uh, we don't see it as a moonshot. In fact, we see as we're already there, but that's probably something for us to, to go into in a minute. In a minute. But these are companies who have huge resources and huge um, numbers of people working in the space of machine learning, AI, et cetera. They've just got to figure out where the solution is going to come from. Uh, and I'll tell you that I believe it's in uh, auditory neuroscience and AI. Um, and then with that, they can work with their huge resources on trying to provide a solution for that. And you know, latency is going to be the big problem that they need to overcome in order to get there. 
any kind of AI or machine learning type solution is going to have inherent latency within it. And anyone who's tried to work on a hearing device will tell you that any kind of latency is going to be problematic for the user. So the battleground really, once we've understood all of the above, is now latency. Who's going to be able to produce a zero latency AI that can work on device? Yeah, that's interesting for a number of reasons. Um, you know, when I think about this whole hearables ecosystem right now, um, you know, you think back to that first iteration of devices, that first wave you had, you know, bragging, O'Hara, Doppler, you name it. And the huge obstacles, the huge barriers of entry at the time were largely around battery life, solid pairing, um, and, you know, just like more or less identifying solid use cases that could differentiate yourself. And here we are in 2021, about, you know, four or five years later. And I think that those problems have all kind of largely been solved, right? You think about, you know, the buying decision behavior around hearables today are largely not even really related to those issues that had pre presented such problems initially. I think most people now get a device that has, you know, pretty good battery life. There's obviously room for improvement and we'll continue to see that as time goes on. Most devices are able to pair almost instantaneously now, mm -hmm. but that was a really big issue early on. And, and that's really what I think AirPods kind of solved was with, especially around the instantaneous pairing. And so, you know, as we enter into this next phase of hearables, um, and I, I really think that, you know, we're kind of graduating up the ladder and that is then going to present new challenges. And I think this is a really interesting one to think about, which is latency. Um, because I think that as we'll go into throughout this conversation, latency, I think, um, presents, yeah, kind of like a new age challenge that will need new age solutions tied to that. And, and so that's where my head's at here to kind of just further frame this conversation is to say that, you know, here we are. And I just think that there's just a new set of problems that are presenting ourselves. And so the question now becomes, okay, how do we solve those different problems? Andy, over to you. What do you think here? I, yeah, I actually like to take a, a step back and think about this in a greater context. Uh, if you think about hearing devices today, uh, let's call it uh, hearing version one. Hearing version one is 100 years old. Hearing version one is all about amplification, right? The first experimental devices had vacuum tubes and you carried it with a handle. And then you had little belt packs with a wire running up to your ear. And then, and, and of course, I appreciate the part, you know, as far as it goes, um, that our founder, Hugh Knowles, was one of the people who helped get hearing devices up on your face and make it more realistic. And we've been driving that innovation ever since, but it's all about amplification with in, increasingly finer and more sophisticated levels of control. You have selective amplification, you have selective uh, compression, you have beam forming mics, you have automatic mode changing, all these sorts of things. It's gotten really good, but it's all about amplification. That's hearing version one. Now I think we're on the stage of hearing version two of which amplification still remains a part, but you think about all of the ways that the brain comes to interpret and recognize sound aside from you know, just the straightforward hearing path. I mean, that's what Wolverine is after. That's what Facebook Reality Labs is after. I mean, they stated uh, in, in their, their mission statement for the device that it would work in conjunction with hearing aids. So hearing aids with AR applied 
will give you a much finer understanding of the sound and the extraction of the sound you're interested in from the noise that's around you. Uh, and of course, that's where Chatable's working as well. And then you have the neosensory buzz, the, the last podcast that was just aired, in which you're actually working on getting the recognition of sound through the skin rather than through the ears. So all this collectively, I think of is hearing version two, and it'll really add an entirely new dimension to the hearing space, often in combination, right? Like, uh, like your guest and her daughter who had very profound hearing loss, she talked about how uh, the combination of the cochlear implants and the neurosensory buzz together worked much better than either one alone. And so I see all of these things coming together to just take hearing science and hearing loss mitigation, even at very severe and profound levels, to a whole different level than we're at today. And it's all very, very intriguing and very promising. Yeah, I love that. And I, uh, yeah, you were referencing the conversation I had with David Eagleman and in which I had Jackie Scholl, who's an audiologist, and she's also uh, her 13-year-old daughter's deaf. And just as you mentioned, bilateral cochlear implant user. And what's fascinating about that is she's wearing it in conjunction with the buzz now. And like the way they described it was trimodal hearing. So, you know, basically in a combination of lip reading, uh, being able to hear the sound from the cochlear implant. And then in addition, the buzz, it's just so much more context. And I think that, you know, as she cited in the podcast episode, her speech discrimination is like going through the roof right now because she's now really being able to decipher, okay, this is a, a three letter word. You know, this is a five letter or a, a three syllable word, a five syllable word. Um, and, and so again, I totally love that whole point. I think that's a brilliant way to put it um, is this idea of, you know, version two. And I do agree with you. I think that a lot of what is being done right now is taking a lot of the kind of components that we have and assembling them almost like Lego blocks to come up with uh, an entirely new way that we might be able to get there. And that is why I think Chatable is so interesting is that it provides another sort of building block that you can layer onto this whole thing that I think is going to yield some very, very interesting opportunities. Yeah, totally. I suppose I can jump in there. I mean, what, what we have is an auditory neuroscience-based approach, which is then enabled and executed through AI. And we would argue that the fields of neuroscience and AI are merging and going to become one field eventually. But uh, essentially what we're talking about here is uh, attention. We're solving the problems of attention, which uh, is the underlying brain-related uh, foundational problem that exists between all of these different situations that we've described, hearing, ADHD, autism, et cetera. So, um, and that can also be described to some extent as the cocktail party problem, which is uh, you're trying to hear the person in front of you talk to you whilst everybody else in the room is also talking. Um, your ability to do that in a inverted commas normal functioning brain, that's your ability to attend and focus on what you want to. And if you lose that ability, you've lost your ability to attend to that person. So the problem that our AI is really solving is one of uh, attention. So it is a, an entirely different school of thought. It's got nothing to do with um, amplification, hearing science, and so forth. And of course, we'll need an element of that as well, because there are, in many hearing loss cases, uh, mechanical and ear-related issues. But um, as far as the brain and uh, our science is concerned, what we're focused on is giving the people the ability to attend 
what they want to listen to, which more often than not is speech. Yeah, I, uh, I've come to appreciate that, actually, as I've gone down my own hearing journey, because there are actually times if somebody like behind me addresses me, I'll completely miss it. And I've had conversations with my audiologist who says, actually, yeah, that's your, that's your brain's failure to recognize that someone is speaking to you. And so that, you know, if 100% of the time, if I'm looking at somebody, even in a, in a crowded room with where I'm at today, I can still, you know, focus in on them and attend to them. But there are times when somebody back there will refer to me or say something to me, and it doesn't even register. Yeah. And it's all about the brain recognition and not the hearing per se. And the minute I catch on that, all of a sudden I can still talk to them when they're behind me, but it's that brain recognition that somebody is talking to you. And what you're saying is through the techniques you've developed, that same sort of thing that you're talking about in the context of somebody with autism would also apply to a person without autism, but with hearing loss as well, correct? Totally, totally. So um, one day, just as an experiment, I went through all of our um, testimonial videos and extracted the phrases where somebody was either saying listening effort, focus, attention, and created a montage. <clears throat> and pretty much without prompting, everybody said something using one of those, or if not all of those phrases. Um, so there's, uh, you know, we've got popular implant users, we've got people who've got severe, profound hearing loss, all sorts of different um, people on these videos, but all of them are referring to this listening effort or focus or attention issue. So um, if, you were, if you were to watch back, you'll see it. I mean, my own experience, I struggle with uh, speech and noise, and you can feel yourself really, you know, it's like your brain is doing what your eyes do when you squint. You're really trying to suck yourself into what that person is saying. And that's that's to do with listening effort and attention. So that is ultimately the problem that we're solving here with this with this technology. Yeah, I, uh, that's actually a really good analogy. Is like squinting um, because I think you're right. I think that's kind of the, what what's going on, and I think that's that's what's so interesting here. I think is that um, and, and Andy, you might be able to speak to this a little bit. Is like there's a difference between the all day wear hearing aid user who has a problem that really warrants an all day device. But I think a lot of people, particularly like the people that are being cited in these who studies one in five people around the globe. Um, I would imagine that the majority of them are probably falling into this category where they experience it at a certain point throughout their day, but not all day. And so it's this situational user that could use a boost here situationally kind of on demand. And, uh, and that's where this is getting interesting because I think that, you know, what does that actually look like in practice though? And like, you know, so are you going to have something that, you know, maybe you're at that cocktail party that's always cited or you're in that noisy bar, like Andy, I'll just present this to you. So, you, you know, Andy of, seven years ago where maybe you started to detect, okay, I, I'm, I'm struggling in, in some of these different situations as somebody that now wears devices all day and you're pretty immersed in like the options that exist. How do you actually see that working in practice? Would you have something in your pocket like AirPods that you would just pop in and feel totally normal doing that if it provided that sort of situational boost? I mean, I think that this is kind of where I'm going with it is to say that 
it's one thing to be able to technically do it. It's kind of like in the podcast I had with David Eagleman, where we were talking about that Lanier's project where they were trying to solve tinnitus and the solution where these little things that you wear in your tongue that zap your tongue, maybe in research, it, it makes sense, but in practicality, absolutely no way anybody's going to be actually walking around with that. I just have a hard time imagining it, at least at scale. And so it's kind of the same thing here is like, how does this actually manifest in a way that we think would be societally accepted and, and people would do it? Yeah, that's a really good question because you, you brought up two points there. One is the personal effect it will have by wearing such a device. And the other is the cultural acceptability. I think the cultural acceptability is, is coming quickly. I mean, for years I could walk around Silicon Valley and every third person would leave their AirPods in all day long. You know, they would walk in and order food and things like that while they're hanging there. And so I think that's very quickly coming. And especially as you start to see the larger players putting more attention to it. You know, wait till Apple really tunes up their hearing enhancement and actually starts to advertise it. Like, I have this vision of a commercial. You know, they do the really cool AirPods commercials with a person walking and they're jamming to their tunes and the, you know, world gets a little unreal around them and people are dancing, right? Well, imagine that kind of commercial where a person walks into a crowded place and you see somebody over there struggling to hear and this person is interacting normally and, you know, I think that's going to very, very quickly become a cultural norm. Now, on personal level, I can tell you, now, of course, you know, seven years ago, when I first started having these difficulties, I wouldn't have, probably wouldn't have thought about wearing a device around, you know, it would get a little too weird back then. But what I always tell people is, it's not just that you have a hard time hearing, it's the fatigue factor that comes with it, okay? So you, you talk about mentally squinting, yeah. right? Totally. You do a day like like I would do all days of meetings or conferences, especially in foreign countries. Uh, China, I'll, I'll name most of all because English is I don't speak Chinese and English is spoken, you know, variably with different accents. And you spend a whole day struggling to interpret people talking when you have hearing loss in the first place. You are wiped out. You're drained. And so when you put that in the context of, say, a party that's four or five hours in a noisy restaurant or bar, you know, you start to kind of check out, you get tired of struggling to hear what's going on four people over you, you know, you more or less just kind of zone in on the two people that are in your immediate reach and you start to isolate yourself from everything that's happening. And, and you find you're more tired afterwards anyway. I was absolutely amazed right after I got mine, I did a conference uh, in Shenzhen, in which I was both a speaker and a participant. And the whole day was done, and we had a dinner meeting afterwards. I got back to my hotel at the end of the night. I'm like, I feel great. I mean, the <laughs> cognitive load that comes with struggling with hearing loss, especially in noisy environments, is really something you have to experience. I don't recommend you put yourself in this position. But if you are, you know, the reduced cognitive load of being able to hear properly is something else. And, it, and, and I can understand why that also would apply, you know, uh, to people with, with uh, other issues like autism, because the ability to concentrate in a noisy surrounding would just be overwhelming. And so solutions that help you isolate speech from noise, even situationally, both for mildly hearing impaired people and people with autism and other similar 
uh, issue is, is really an amazing thing coming. Yeah, uh, I would agree there. And, and I've heard both of you speak about different aspects of this in the past. And Andy, I know you're excited about all the different functionality that your hearing aids can, can bring to your ear. And it can't be far away from the moment that the person wearing the hearing device is the smartest guy in the room, right? Because they've got all this amazing functionality. And the people um, like Apple and Google and all the rest of it have that marketing power to make that happen. You know, augmented hearing, augmented reality, augmented life. You know, that's where this goes eventually, um, which probably takes us into the idea of, you know, how TWS is uh, a technology that's going to help us get to that eventuality for more people. Um, but I always uh, envisage this kind of really small form factor, maybe in-ear form factor device, which um, is enabling someone to do so much more with their life, whether it's um, enhanced hearing, taking phone calls, getting, you know, the the the, the voice UI, etc. You know, that to me makes you the smartest person in the room, and no longer do you have the stigma. You know, that that tick box can now disappear. <laughs> yeah, no, I I agree. I'm you know here I am. I'm having this conversation with two people that wear glasses, and it's just like. <laughs> I, but it, like the point I'm making is it's, it's something that doesn't even register, right? It's just so normal. Um, and I do think that that's kind of the power that I think Apple in particular has here is they can almost create that AirPods are almost like the new glasses, right? Where it's like, you know, maybe you're wearing them for, you know, I, I guess there's not a parallel in terms of, I don't know if anyone would say they're fashionable, but the equivalent of that would, I think be like, for any kind of functionality that you're using them for. And then maybe you're using them in the same way that if you have prescriptive lenses, you're using them for augmentation, you know, making that sense better, more or less. And so it could be the same thing. And so I think that there's a lot that is probably going to be needed to be done in order to make these socially more and more just normalized and, and normalizing this idea of like, I would love for us to get to the point as a society where you're at a noisy bar and it's no thing if somebody just pops in one ear AirPod or pops in something like a new Hera IQ bud or something like that, where it's just like, oh, okay. Yeah. I just need a, a little bit of an enhancement as I'm in this setting. Cause so much of the detractor there is actually going to be on like, am I comfortable doing that? And that's why I always try to kind of cite, like, if you go back three years ago, mm -hmm. AirPods were actually something that people were kind of almost embarrassed to wear because they were like dragged when they first came out and then they became totally normalized and then they became extremely popular and like kind of cool. And so that actually has a huge societal effect because it's become behaviorally acceptable to now wear these things for longer periods of time. And that cascades to all these different devices. So I think there's, that's one part of the equation is will we actually be comfortable wearing things like this in these situational amplification settings? The other side is on the technical side, right? And this mm. is where I want to go with this next is, have you really speak to this, Giles? I mean, this is something that I think you feel passionate about. What is it about, you know, can you really help us to understand the state of latency, what that means in terms of the limitations that exist today, why that's such a limitation, like what would that actually manifest as, and then maybe like kind of a path forward in what that would look like if you really do have zero latency. Yeah, sure. So um, if we talk about TWS, because that's that's ultimately where where um, probably we're, we're going when we're talking about addressing the mild, moderate side of things. 
So um, what we want to do is address the speech and noise problem, which we've discussed as a situational uh, thing. With TWS, we have the benefit of the full uh, range of, of, of sound. So it's not a limited sound and it doesn't have the compression, which can make speech and noise more challenging. Um, so then we have a TWS form factor, which doesn't carry the stigma to it and it can have affordability. So what's next is um, an AI to solve the speech and noise problem. Now, the chips um, that we need for running AI exist already. Uh, we're developing on a Knowles chip at the moment, which has both processing power and the memory which we need to create our uh, situational use case. Um, with TWS, we have the full bandwidth and that enables us to, to create a really attractive proposition to someone who's used to in inverted commas normal sound now the, the trouble with using ai generally for this sort of thing is ai is a complex thing a lot of calculations and so forth and with that there is an inherent latency and when the googles of the world are talking about moonshots this is where the problems are so you need to have um, an ai that can work on a chip to begin with which is uncommon um, you need to have the chip, which is still, you know, it's available now, but in, in limited distribution. And then you need to have this uh, AI working at a latency, which is going to be imperceptible, which the industry, the hearing industry would tell us is less than six milliseconds, which is incredibly fast. That's, you know, virtually nothing. Um, so those are the challenges that are faced when trying to develop such a thing. Now, because we're approaching this from a different point of view and a different starting point, and we know some clever stuff through uh, uh, Dr. Andy Simpson that we've talked about before, our, one of our founders, um, we're able to do this. So we have this zero latency AI, but typically the problem with it is that it's a complex thing trying to do lots of calculations on limited resources, and therefore there's a long latency. I think it's worth explaining to your listeners why the latency actually matters. Yeah, so the problem with latency is you end up with a situation where with a long latency, what you see and what you hear become distant relatives. And uh, in its worst case, that becomes unusable. Your brain just gets overwhelmed by this uh, the difference in what you see and what you hear. So really what you're trying to do is crunch that down to the point where there's an imperceptible difference between the two things. Uh, and there's lots of studies in the hearing industry that tells you that uh, anything less than six milliseconds is imperceptible. Anything more than 40 milliseconds is really, really difficult to use. So uh, your your target is going to be six milliseconds, but uh, really you don't want to be anything over 40 milliseconds. That's a real problem. Um, and, you know, what are the consequences of that? Well, people just won't use it. That's when it goes back in the drawer. So that's, that's the kind of uh, product definition that you want to be working towards. And so I know that you had been sort of alluding to some of the ways that you're getting down to that six milliseconds. Uh, but mm -hmm. I'm curious, like, you know, you say, oh, Google and, and Facebook, like these are moonshots for them without like spilling the, the secret sauce here. I, <laughs> I am just curious about what is it that you think is the crux of why this is so challenging? Um. It's the approach. So typically the approach involves things that require a lot of compute power and a lot of calculations. Um, our approach doesn't require that. And I'm not going to try and give away too much, but the, tradi <laughs> the traditional approach to separating sounds, labeling sounds and so forth does tend to lead to a requirement of needing a lot of compute power, a lot of calculations. And 
you know, on the whole, that's impossible on a small device. But if you could get it to a small device, you're still dealing with a lot of latency. Inherently, within that amount of um, work is latency. And so just to kind of like put a nice bow on this, um, you would, you know, the way that this would actually look and feel is... Um, you and I are having this conversation. We're in the noisy pub. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe I have a directional setting on to where I have it facing you. And then, you know, so your speech comes in and it is run in real time in near zero latency through that AI processor. And then it comes out into my ears through the device that I'm wearing as this highly refined piece of audio, more or less. Correct. Exactly. So you're sitting there with your TWS on and you're just listening to me and it comes in, gets uh, treated by our AI and passed through in less than six milliseconds. Well, less than less than two and a half milliseconds we're working at now. So that is totally imperceptible to you. You wouldn't know that there's a calculation of extreme power of magnitude going on at, at, in that process. It's just imperceptible. I'm also curious about the neuroscientific part of all this, right? And mm-hmm. I realize you are not a scientist of the crew, but at the same time, you've also said that it's not only just simply, you know, the way you treat the noise around you, but how yeah. you are delivering the sound to the brain in a different way than normal. Can you explain it a little? Yeah, so the, the, the problem that we're, we're helping with is impaired speech processing in the cortex. So um, if the solution is typically found in the healthy cortex, it's a brain-related issue. And what we're doing is replicating that impaired function. So um, that's what makes it an artificial intelligence in a sense. We're artificially doing what the healthy brain would be doing. And how we do that, well, that's possibly a billion-dollar question. (laughs) I love it. This is, by the way, kind of like a neuroscience podcast now. I just realized that we got a lot, it of, is, Dave. Yes. a lot of brain talk on here recently, but this is great. I mean, I think it's really fascinating to hear these different approaches. You know, it's like a lot of these are uh, issues that stem from the brain. And so I think it makes sense that you're now seeing this, this attention and, and maybe it's always been here, but I'm just now realizing it that a lot of there, there's a lot of novel approaches from the world of neuroscience that I think that the, that really will jive nicely with the world of audiology. I think there's a lot of really cool synergies that are starting to kind of become apparent. And I love this intersection of the two. I think that there's just tremendous possibility as the two become more and more blended, more or less. Yeah, totally. I mean, we, we, we're in a world here with chatable of neurons and neuroscience and uh, processing of signals. So it's, a, it's quite a fascinating and interesting world. And I should warn you that I'm not the one with the PhD. In this, so I probably will have to draw the line there on how much further I can go in this direction. <laughs> no, no, you're fine. Um, this is really interesting, though, because like I said at the beginning of the podcast, I think, you know, it's like, what I, I constantly hear people ask, what, what's the next three to five years look like in this space? And, you know, there are two, I think there are two answers to that question. One is what's going to happen with the software. Um, it, what's going to happen off of the notion that we're all wearing devices like AirPods or hearing aids in higher prevalence, right? And so that's where I think you really see like Clubhouse, Twitter spaces, social audio, spoken word audio, you know, just basically an 
in audio internet, more or less. So I think that there's going to be a lot built around that notion that we have things in and around our ears for longer periods of time. I also have mentioned on this podcast before that I think it's really fascinating to think about sort of the precursor to augmented reality might really kind of start with the ear, um, which I, there's a whole, you know, tangent of conversation that we could go on there. But I do think that the other side of this is the hardware, right? It's like, what's going to happen with these innovations that happen on the actual hardware front. And this is, I think a really interesting concept is, you know, maybe the approach to speech and noise you know, we, we keep hearing about like AI applications for hearing aids and just like an AI integration into the hearables and, and all that. But I think this is a really tangible example of what that actually might manifest into into the market is that one of the largest problems in hearing health, speech and noise, the thing that's probably the root of most mild to moderate hearing losses, the best solution to that might actually be around like an AI engine like Chatable. And so then the question then again kind of comes back to, A, how do you all do that from a technical standpoint? And then also from a behavioral standpoint, what does that look like when we have these types of solutions that work? Are they going to be socially acceptable? So I think there's like, there's a lot of different running things that are kind of like, uh, you know, parts of this whole equation. But I do think that AI in particular, these are the kinds of use cases that I think will come from them. Because you'll hear a lot about the buzzwords themselves and the top level like kind of application. We're going to have AI and hearing aids, but there's not a lot that's being said about what that actually means in terms of how it manifests in the product set. And so I think this has been a really interesting conversation to hear about the tangible way that we might see this kind of come to market with that. What do you think about that, Giles? Yeah, spot on. And I, I like the mention of uh, reality there. That That is a whole nother tangent and we could go down <laughs> that route. But yes. um, just to indulge for a second, if we, if we are able to enhance and improve the sound that's coming in, that effectively is changing your reality. So your 100%. reality is what you perceive. I don't know if you've talked about this. Your reality is what you what your brain is perceiving around you. The signals that you're sending in are being interpreted. So if we're able to improve the signals that your your brain and cortex are receiving, then effectively we're improving your reality, which is pretty interesting. And then what if we add some sounds and layers on top of that? Then effectively we're augmenting your reality. And that takes us into a whole new world of excitement, which we'll probably save for another day. But what this looks like in terms of a, uh, you know, if we could sort of paint the picture of what this looks like, this is uh, a TWS or a hearing aid being worn in a noisy place and you switch on a mode. It's a situational thing. You switch on the mode and now that sound is being processed to, with our technology, we're recreating the voice, right? So there's no background noise on it. So you just get the voice through of the person you want to speak to, which is giving you that attention back, right? So you're attending to that person. This is the, the solving of that cocktail party problem. I want to speak to that person in front of me. So I press the button and now I just get the speech of that person in front of me. Fantastic. And that's helping people with hearing loss, with autism, ADHD, APD, and all the others where there is a noise and disturbance and distraction related problem, you see? So now if we, if we have that technology inside a TWS, all of those people can be helped um, in, in those difficult situations. Yeah, I think that's that's really spot on. Um, and I, I just do want to say one thing that you mentioned earlier, you know, it's like what's 
what's kind of interesting that's going on in my mind is that I look at Andy with his hearing aids and, and, and I, I have almost a little sense of envy because I do think that I don't envy his hearing loss. I don't envy the reason why he's wearing them, but there is an element of like superpowers to that. Um, and I think that's actually going to just become more and more pronounced. And I do think that kind of ties into what you were saying about augmented reality, where yes, there is a version of augmented reality that's a visual overlay that we've seen in a number of different movies, but there's other aspects to it too, which is maybe it's just providing you with super hearing, you know, taking a hearing loss, giving you a device that allows for you to augment it in such a way where he has abilities in many ways of things that, you know, not many others do. And so there is an element of that that I think is a really interesting way to think about this is that in many ways, I think that the uh, hearing aids of today and in the, a lot of the new hearables that are coming onto the market are actually going beyond just like restoring a sense and actually going a step further and saying, and what if we have actually give you the ability to do this? So I find that to be interesting as well. Yeah, we've we've thought often about this, you know, the, the sense of um, how does one market such a such a product? And we've always been conscious to not, um, and I'm thinking about our app when we were pushing our app you know not to come across as this is a walking stick you know this isn't a kind of disability aid tool slash thing this is something that's going to really help you and have a better time in those situations so um it it's yeah it comes back to the you're going to be the smartest guy in the room type yeah and i just want to say we mentioned jeff cooling at the beginning of the podcast jeff actually wrote a really really good piece on hearing aid no not long ago um where he basically was kind of saying the same thing which is you know this isn't stop positioning hearing aids as um you know this thing that's uh, connotated with older adults and aging and all that on the contrary it's something that can help you live a more vibrant more youthful life. And I think that's actually a really interesting way to kind of reposition the whole conversation around this notion of like, stop with the walking stick and the, the, you know, the, the cane and, and the, and the stroller and all that, and start using it more along the lines of like, this is actually a restoration of youth in many ways. Andy, yeah. thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I love that article for just exactly the reason you said. It's, it's not about mitigating a deficiency. It's about enhancing your life 100% at any age, at any age. Yeah, totally agree. Um, you know, as we kind of come to the close here, I, I mean, I think that we've done a great job of, uh, you know, not to pat myself on the back here, but no, I think we, I think you two have done a really good job of, of steering this conversation along very efficiently because I think that we've gotten down to what I do think will be a big part of the next wave of hearables and the next wave of hearing aids um, is this idea of like utilizing the new advances in the underlying technology, i.e. AI, um, to solve some of the traditional challenges that have presented themselves. And really seriously, speech and noise has to be up there with the most commonly cited thing that I always hear people sight as being one of the biggest things that plagues uh, the hearing loss population. So I do think that that's probably ripe for some new thinking and some new methods of how we attack that. Yeah, and I think so. And I think bringing it back to the kind of the moonshot projects and why all these uh, big tech companies are getting involved here is that let's remind ourselves one and a half billion people with hearing loss, 80% of them are struggling with speech and well, 100% of them are struggling with speech and noise, but 80% of them are only struggling with 
um, well, mostly struggling with speech and noise, and yet 15 million hearing aids are sold a year. So there's an enormous gap here between what's happening in today's kind of solutions and what could be happening. And it's the availability of new technologies such as AI um, using the processes that are now available in tiny form factors, um, which is going to enable this next generation of, of devices to become useful to that enormous group. And it's funny, when, when I was uh, shoveling mulch and listening to the David Eagleman uh, episode, and then you know over the course of this conversation, one thing that really occurred to me is how essential the role of an audiologist will become in all this. Uh, Dave, you and I have talked about this multiple times, right? What are the threats and what are the opportunities in the audiology profession going forward? And, you know, just listening to Jackie describe how she was able to tune up the combination of the cochlear implants and the neosensory buzz to get an optimum solution for her daughter. Uh, or do you take something like what Chatable is doing, you know, especially when it gets implemented into a true wireless device? How are people going to sort all this out? You know, I, I mean, at, at the end, um, David talked about how they're working on a variation for people with high frequency hearing loss, which mm -hmm. would be another route to the restaurant problem. If you were getting the sensory input through the skin to help you augment your high frequency hearing when your low frequency hearing was still okay. I thought, that's fascinating. I'd love to try that one because that's the situation I'm in. But if I'm an ordinary person, how do I know it's the optimum solution? I mean, some really intriguing high-level solutions are proliferating, but because they are proliferating, it's going to be difficult for the ordinary consumer to sort it out. And I think therein lies the opportunity for the audiological profession, you know, once they've unbundled from device sales and so that they can provide the whole range of solutions and advice for people with all different kinds of hearing or other hearing sensory issues. So a lot of opportunity there and really a lot of exciting possibilities. Yeah, and, and just to, to, to bring that round, I mean, I, I've spoken to Jackie myself way back when about our um, technology and how it could be useful to her, but it, it may be interesting for you to know that in our um, investment um, team, we have Mark Cuban, who's a big fan of AI, and we have five of Europe's leading audiologists as investors as well. So that probably tells you, you know, how, how this is all coming together. And absolutely, it's the case that uh, audiologists are interested in just trying to help the person who's in front of them, whatever their, their need is right now. And there'll be lots of people who are coming in uh, to see audiologists looking for a solution for their mild, uh, let's say, hearing loss, which is particularly a speech and noise issue. And I think that, you know, devices using our technology to help with speech and noise is going to be something that they'll be really excited for. I calculated that about a third of the people going into a clinic are currently leaving with nothing, uh, whereas soon they'll be able to leave with something that's going to help them just for that situational, infrequent, speech and noise, challenging environment type of uh, moment in their lives. Yeah, no, I, I really, uh, I agree with everything that was said here. And Andy, uh, just to kind of follow on your point, you know, it's like the, the, landscape is just becoming more and more populated and therefore it's becoming more complex. And so there's actually a huge opportunity that's being built around all of this, which is to say that the more knowledgeable and familiarized you are with all of these different kinds of solutions and the more tools that you have in your tool belt, the more 
uh, value that you ultimately can provide. You can match people appropriately to all of these new types of solutions. You can augment them. You can com combine them. Um, and what does that do? That that allows for you to wow and blow your patient's mind. So they walk out of there and they say, I'm, I sure am glad that I'm, you know, seeing Dr. Dave or whoever, you know, where I'm able to, to make sure that I'm getting the optimal type of solution for me. And so that's what's so exciting about all of this to me is that there are just more and more types of things that you can, you can kind of add to your suite of services. And ultimately what that I think equates to is just a higher perceived value proposition in the patient's eyes. And that to me is going to be at the root of success across the next five to 10 years, because a lot of the just device sales is getting commoditized. And so where does the value lie? The value lies in matching people to all kinds of new solutions and stuff like that. So with that, um, I just want to wrap this one up. It's been a great conversation with you too. Really appreciate you for coming on. And thanks for everybody who tuned in here to the end. We will chat with you next time. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Future Ear Radio. For more content like this, just head over to futureear.co where you can read all the articles that I've been writing these past few years on the worlds of voice technology and hearables and how the two are beginning to intersect. Thanks for tuning in and I'll chat with you next time.